morning. If you would open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I think we might have mentioned already, Pastor Jeff was scheduled to preach this morning and obviously just really sad situation uh, for his mom. So I am preaching a sermon that I prepared a couple hours ago. Um, so uh, this this stands true for all Christians at all points in times. So you're to test all things, and that includes what comes from the pulpit. Um, obviously, since I'm kind of winging it, please test all things very carefully. Um, so typically we measure twice so we can cut once, and it can be faithful and true when we preach, but I am not in a situation where I have enough time. So please be careful, test what I say, see if it accords with scripture. Uh, what we're planning to do this morning is simply an overview of the 10 words. Um, I'm not going to go into every little detail about the 10 words. I want to discuss mainly some of the broad level of what the 10 words are ultimately reflecting and where the 10 words are ultimately orienting us. So what are they building on and where are they building to is what I mean by that. So let's go ahead and read from Deuteronomy chapter five. I'm going to read starting in verse, verse six. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who, who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray together. Father, it is a blessing and privilege to come together to lift up praises in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. That we have been bestowed with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us eternally as believers, that we are in union with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We indeed have every reason to praise and to worship and to be thankful. So we pray that you would give us grace, that you would cultivate in us 
a disposition of worship and humility through faith in Jesus. I pray that you give grace to us as we seek to consider the things of your word, that your spirit would help us to understand, that we would see the glory of Christ, and that we would see your glory, Father, in him. I pray that you bless our church, that you strengthen our fellowship, that you give grace to those who are sick or traveling. We certainly ask for grace for Pastor Jeff and his family um, as they are, are just in a difficult season and, and there's much mourning that is right, but we are also thankful for the testimony of Pastor Jeff's mom and her faith in Jesus as well. We pray that you give grace to our brothers and sisters who are in this community, also proclaiming the gospel faithfully and worshiping this morning, that you would bless these churches, that you bless our missionaries who are seeking to carry the gospel to all peoples. We pray, Father, that you indeed save all the lost in this world, that you would cause the government to rule rightly so that the gospel would go freely to all people, that abortion would be eradicated, that you would do these works that only you can do, that we would be people that trust you confidently, that you would work in our brothers and sisters who are suffering for your sake even now that their trust and confidence in you would abound and that they'd be given comfort and endurance but also relief from the suffering they're enduring and we need that comfort as well even for our own sins for how we have betrayed you this week how we have betrayed your word and commands please forgive us please give us grace please help us to grow in godliness we ask all this in jesus name amen It's been, it's been a real joy to, to be a, a father, an incredible blessing. Uh, one of the things that's been really fascinating for me is, you know, children when they're small, especially for really any of us, we're able to make messes that are beyond our capacity to clean them up. If you have a child that's one or two, you know this on a daily basis. And one of the things that's been really enjoyable for me is to see my older sons see my younger sons make messes that they can't clean up and go help their younger brother clean it up. They recognize the mess that has been made. They know that the mess is beyond the capacity of the younger brother to clean it up and they help. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it is particularly sweet. And the reason it's sweet is because that son is doing what I as his father would want him to do. And that son is showing a love towards his younger brother. That's ultimately reflective of the fact that God, the son came incarnate to be a better brother to us and to clean up a mess that we could never clean up. So there's a gospel demonstration that's going on in that situation. We are made to do these sorts of things. We are made as image bearers. We are made to reflect the one we worship. And indeed, whatever we worship, we will reflect. We were discussing that as we or we were seeing that dynamic as we were reading from Psalm 115. And this dynamic of imaging the glory of God is really what I want us to consider from the 10 words in Deuteronomy 5. If you look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4, this whole um, experience of Israel imaging the glory of God is laid out for them. So in the book of Deuteronomy, Israel is being called into this covenant that is the book of Deuteronomy, a covenant to keep the covenant God had made with them at Sinai, but in the context specifically of the land that they're going to dwell in. And they are being called to this land with the purpose and intent of imaging the glory of God to all peoples. So you see this in Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 5. So see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there 
that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Israel is meant to reflect something glorious. And what's being laid out here is that that glory is not inherent to them. That glory is emanating from Yahweh, the one they are following. And if, if you consider geographically, Israel is meant to be in this land of Canaan, but that land of Canaan is meant to be a middle point between the main civilizations in the ancient world. You would have had Egypt down towards the south, Mesopotamia up towards the north, and Israel's in between them. As there's commerce that's happening in the ancient world, these people are going to have to pass through Canaan, and what they're meant to see in that travel is the glory of God. And how Israel is meant to imitate God and image God in a way that reflects his glory is laid out in the section following here in chapter 4. Verse 9, it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, so that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. So what God is recounting for them is that he brings them to Sinai. He's proclaiming his word. He's revealing his glory there for Israel, that they would see his glory and then reflect that glory. And when God is on Sinai, he is giving them the Ten Commandments. That's the heart of this covenant, the heart of these words that God's giving them at that mountain. So God's revealing his glory on the mountain, and then in the Ten Commandments, he's capturing that glory for imitation that the people would follow in imitating God's glory themselves. So let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 5 again. What, what I'm getting at, to just boil it down really quick, is the Ten Commandments... These 10 words is how you could translate that. The 10 words are meant to be reflective of God's glory. And you see this. When God is on Sinai, God proclaims his glory in a special way to Moses in Exodus 34. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. God starts his declaration of his glory by repeating his name twice to show that the ultimate glory that is found is in God himself. This is the basis for the first and great commandment, to love the Lord your God. We love God first and foremost. His name is repeated twice for emphasis. The Lord of the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God's glory revealed in Exodus 34 is oriented towards himself, just like we are being oriented towards God first and foremost. But then we see how God is merciful and gracious. He shows love for his creation. And that informs the second great command, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And the 10 words in context are meant to be an exposition of God's glory, an exposition of loving God and loving your neighbor. So when we, we look at Deuteronomy 5, we are meant to see an expansion of God's glory and an expansion of loving God and loving neighbor. 
So let's start in verse six with an important note for considering the love of God and the love of neighbor. So verse six is really the introduction to the 10 words. We discussed when we were going through this section, how you really need to start with verse six when you're talking about the 10 words. You don't skip it. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we are not meant to look at them neutrally. We are meant to look at the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, as those who are in bondage and need redemption. These are words for those who are redeemed. We are not coming to the Ten Words with a clean slate. We are coming as those born dead in our trespasses and sins. So we are meant to come to these 10 words with an awareness that God knows our sinfulness as he's speaking these words. Now, when we look at the ordering of these 10 words and and how they're numbered, uh, Pastor Jeff and I took a, a numbering that's a little different than what you might see typically put up on a wall at like a Christian school. So the ordering we would hold to uh, is more akin to what a Lutheran or, or a Catholic would hold to as far as the numbering goes. That doesn't change our theology to be Lutheran or Catholic. It's simply a numbering. So what, what I'm going to show here is that I think the way these are meant to be numbered is that the first four words are all marked by God's name, the Lord your God. So you have here in verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's kind of part one of the first word. Then it continues, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So a couple of notes here. The first word is about worshiping God only. And I think it goes on to expand on that to say, you do not worship idols. And one of the things that we see here is that as we worship the Lord, our God in this way, there is a generational blessing that comes from them. And while I do think that that has impact for Christian parents and how they minister to their children, I think the primary focus is going to be shown that that one who fully keeps these commandments is the one who truly possesses those promises for his generations. So I'm going to expand on that as we go. The next word is you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. The Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this to me is the second word. This is the second time we see in the name, the Lord, your God listed. So the second word that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And as we discussed before, the heart of this is not necessarily speaking. Certainly, I think it includes speaking, but the main emphasis is if you are part of God's covenant people, you are claiming to be his bride. You are bearing his name. And as his bride, you must bear his name in a way that's consistent with his character, with his word, with his glory. To say you are his bride and to act in a way contrary to him is to bear his name falsely. That's the sense behind that word vain. You're not reflecting your covenant head in the way that you're supposed to. So you're to worship God only. You're to bear his name in a way that reflects his glory and is not false or in vain. Then it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. 
And so just, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I spent over an hour on this before, so I'm going to be real, real quick here. The Sabbath is meant to be a way in which we enjoy the fact that God is a better covenant head and Lord than what Israel had experienced in Egypt. They get to rest and enjoy God's presence and provision in a way that they did not when they were under Pharaoh's bondage. And the real experience of the rest here is looking forward to a head of the household who gives that rest to the members of his household. You see that? It's talking about how on it, on the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. It's expansive. That's the point. It's all of your household is meant to experience rest. And when you look at the dynamic here in the Sabbath command, you are to do your work and then rest. That word for work is used to describe how God worked and created everything. So when you look at the dynamic of God working in creation, that's repeated here, that, that word for work is repeated here. And then you look at how that rest is reflective of God resting on the seventh day in creation. And then that rest extends to the members of the household and even to animals. This is all reminiscent of creation and what I'm getting at. This is what all boils down to is we're waiting for a better Adam who gives us rest as the members of his household. This is going right in line with that generational promise we were talking about from the first word. The one who keeps these commandments is going to experience God's steadfast love to a thousand generations. It says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's verse 16. So I would say that these first four words are all about loving the Lord your God. And it's interesting because the fourth one is about honoring your father and your mother. So how is that ultimately about God? Well, if God has created you and put you in a household where you're meant to submit to your father and your mother, if you dishonor God's authority structure and God's design and the way he's given you life, you're ultimately dishonoring him. How a child interacts with their parents is really reflective of how that child is interacting with God. And that's why Christian parenting must be faithful to the scriptures. Why we must not let children rule in the house because they're learning to rebel ultimately against God, not against the parents. So we have these words about loving the Lord your God. And then I think there's a shift here in verse 17. And the shift goes into this focus of how we're interacting with neighbors. It says first, you shall not murder. And then what's really interesting here, and you don't see this in every translation. The ESV does a really good job here. Um, there's a, a little Hebrew word in verses 18, 19, 20, and then twice in verse 21 that they translate as and, and that's really helpful. Because every other command that comes after you shall not kill is meant to be understood as a package. And what this is getting at is that if you don't love others the way you're supposed to, you're pursuing death. You shall not kill or you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Sin is a pursuit of death. We were talking about this in Sunday school. Sin left unaddressed grows into death. All of it is related to you shall not murder in that regard. 
to be angry with your brother is to be murdering him in his heart, in, in your heart. And if you look at the, the nature of these, these last six words, and how I think even that number six is meant to reflect how we interact with mankind, these words are meant to make a point. The 10 words, the 10 commandments are not meant to be understood in a really external sort of way. Certainly, you shouldn't be murdering someone. That's true. But if you look at the way these last six words are oriented, you have actions, murdering, adultery, stealing. Those are all actions that you must not do. But look at what, it what comes after those actions. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now we're getting into words. And then it goes into not coveting your neighbor's wife or or desiring anything in his house. We're going from actions into words all the way down into our hearts. So when Jesus is expositing this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling you what you should have understood the whole time, which is that these 10 words are meant to reflect your inward state and your inward state isn't good. And like we mentioned at the beginning of this section, God opens these 10 words with a statement about him as Israel's redeemer. And indeed, God's intent to redeem Israel, not just out of Egypt, but out of their deadness in sin, is revealed in the fact that these 10 words, as you look at the Hebrew, it's overwhelmingly in the masculine singular. And what that means is it's anticipating one man who's going to come and fulfill the law so that God's people, instead of receiving the cursing that they deserve for their sinfulness, are going to receive God's blessing because of him. That's what this is all anticipating. The one who is going to provide blessing to his generations, the one who's going to extend rest to his entire household, is the one who is not just a good son who obeys his daddy, he is God the Son coming to fulfill the will of God the Father, that all of us might receive hope in him. I think that informs how we would read a passage like Deuteronomy 6, about how you shall teach them diligently to your children. That word for children there really should be rendered sons, and it's the same word used in 2 Samuel 7 to talk about how God makes a covenant with David and promises to raise up a son for David who's going to ultimately be a son to God. And I think when we see that fulfillment, that promise coming in the covenant with David, that's really building off of what we've already talked about in Jeremiah 17. The king is the one who's going to write the law down. The king is the one who's going to keep the law. And the king is the one who brings blessing and life to the people. So when we're considering these 10 words and we're considering what they reveal about us, we have to receive its instruction humbly. We see that to fulfill these 10 words requires a completely pure heart, which none of us has. As we've been going through the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, and we see how sections are building on these 10 words. The 10 words are getting exposited by Moses as you go forward. We're seeing that to understand them as well, it's not just about externalities, it's about the heart. And the externalities are not just avoiding things, 
It's about doing the things that are the opposite. To not murder is not just to avoid that heinous act. It is to cultivate life and preserve life for those around you. To image God who gives life, we must live in such a way that preserves and honors life around us. And so I think oftentimes when we look at the 10 words, we think of them very externally and we think of them very simplistically in a way that quickly excuses us from being exposed by them. These words are meant to reveal a depth of depravity that leaves us with only a hope that can be found in our King and Savior. That's the point. You're meant to be left asunder as you go through these 10 words and with only one door for hope. And the the glory of this all is that when Christ comes and he fulfills the law and takes the curse of sin that we deserve upon himself and gives us that blessing, he does that out of an abundance of love for God and out of an abundance of love for us who are his neighbor. No begrudgment, simply love. So as we consider how Christ has fulfilled the law for us, how he's taken the curse upon himself that we will receive blessing, we see that when we are called to a new commandment in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, you might think at first, well, we, you know, if you look at Leviticus 19, the command to love your neighbor as yourself is there. So what's new about this commandment? And look what's new about the commandment. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Our standard in the new covenant is now higher in terms of loving our neighbor. We have to love one another in the context of the church in such a way that we lay down our lives as Christ has laid down his life for us. That's what we've been discussing in Ephesians 5. Our love that we pour out to one another is meant to be reflective of the love God has shown us to the sacrifice of his son. It says, by all this, or by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I think what we're seeing here in the trajectory of what's laid out in the 10 words and through the book of Deuteronomy, and ultimately what we find in Christ is that the degree to which we're willing to let ourselves be exposed by God's word is the degree to which we are going to savor and rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we, will, if we are humble before God, he will exalt us. And through that exaltation in Christ, we will therefore act like Christ. We cannot arrive at the morals without beholding the one who fulfills them and demonstrates them, exudes the glory of God. That will never work. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven 
making peace by the blood of his cross. The 10 words are about imaging God and Christ is the image of the invisible God. And as image bearers, like I mentioned earlier, like we were reading in Psalm 115, whatever we adore, whatever we revere, to borrow from G.K. Beale, we will worship, we will reflect. We must be careful what our heart is set upon. Because we will either increasingly become like the God of life through our worship of the God of life, or in our pursuit of sin, we will become increasingly dead in our pursuit of it. We are worshipers. We are all changing more into one thing. And so we must be oriented toward the Lord, our God. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful that we can know that your word pierces all the way into our hearts. And yet in such a way that we find that you have provided a way for us to be cleansed of our sins, a way for us to be brought into a new and better covenant, and that we have a faithful high priest who has won the victory and is at your right hand interceding for us even now. And we're thankful for your spirit and your spirit's work to help us in our prayers, in our lives. And so we pray that you would give grace to us through Christ by your spirit, that we would lift up praises to you together that we would deny ourselves and that we would bear our cross and that we would follow our Savior and praise in his name. Amen. Let's thank you. Pastor.